Hello, mate. Hey, mate. How are you doing? <laughs> very good. Um, firstly, thank you very much for, for coming on to the podcast. Oh, easy. My pleasure. Easy. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, I'll let you explain. How do we get to this point? Who do we need to thank for you being on the uh, podcast? Uh, um, some guy on Instagram, I guess. Is it Ollie, Ollie on it? Ollie, Ollie on Murray, it? I think his name was. Yeah. <laughs> um, just by the off chance, I just thought I'd reply. Well, you know, you got a bit of time. <laughs> and now you sat here. Excellent yeah, news. Um, firstly, really glad to, to have you on board. Um, it was really nice chatting to you before press and record, just talking about kind of club hockey, which is one of the things I want to kind of talk about and just kind of reminiscing a little bit about times gone by. Um, yeah, or oh, simpler times is probably the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I mean, we've crossed paths many a time before. Um, I mean, we just said it then, what, seven? No, it was five years ago. No, five years, yeah. Five yeah. years ago. Um, so, yeah, just back when life was a lot simpler. <laughs> yeah, a lot easier. Um, so, who are you playing for and what are you doing at the moment, for those that don't know? Um, so, Club Hockey for Surbiton. Um one of the GB hockey athletes as well, um, but at the moment I am four and a half months down the line in a ACL rehab. Um, so yeah, today was the first day of running, which was so cool. a nerve-wracking experience to say the least after that long. Um, so yeah, we're just waiting to see how it is tomorrow and how it reacts. So we're hoping the knee's going to be all secure and everything and swelling's going to be the same as it was beforehand so it's a bit of a nerve-wracking 24 hours now for me um, well yeah. yeah i think having sort of like i say following you on social and seeing how like that the rehab's been going like you've seemed really positive and upbeat about how it's all been going and understanding it's like been a long process and stuff like how how have you found kind of injured life versus kind of playing life yeah it's funny um social media can come across in many different ways mm-hmm. um I I was good for about a month. I mean, when I got told I was an absolute mess, uh, I had to leave the room from the doctors and go and nearly throw up in a sink. <laughs> yeah, it was just slightly bizarre because um, I was just in shock. Um, and it kind of hit, hit me like a train. Um, there were, so Mark, I was, I was at Bisham with GB, so Mark Gleghorn walked in and I was in bits and then Sabi Heshu's, well, Sabi Heshu's also been through it. Yeah, came in as well, and she was kind of probably the best person I could have been around at that stage. Um, she was just like, just get it all out, get it all out now, don't bottle it up. Um, and that helped massively. And then for the first month, I was fine, everything was going quite swimmingly. And then, um, and then it kind of hits you how, and it sounds really bizarre, how isolated you are from a team sport perspective. Um, it's really difficult to comprehend because you go from, I think, for an individual athlete going through rehab, I think it's a lot different to. I mean, I don't know because I've not been an individual athlete for a long time. Um, but from a team perspective, it's very bizarre because you do just kind of, you kind of are just spending a lot of time on your own, whether it's resting, whether it's lunch, thing, even simple things like that, where previously you'd finish a session with the group and then a few of you would go for lunch together because it was just, you would just work like that. Um, so, I mean, on that side of things, so I went through a, quite a rough patch for about two, two and a half months. And I'm finally back out the end, on the yeah. other side of it, because um, I just ba- I basically just went on emotional shutdown and just completely gave nothing to anybody, um, which I've been because I've had previous injuries, I have done that before. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't. So it, I may seem all right and I may seem fine, but I'm probably just protecting myself from giving information to someone who I don't know who really cares. Um, 
which is always quite an interesting dynamic on that side of things. And then, yeah, that's really interesting. So is having obviously been in the program for a few years, seen a few guys with injuries, and obviously saying about Sabi with her kind of similar injuries. Have you known other players react in a similar way with injuries, or does everybody react kind of differently within the group? Um, I think. I think everybody reacts differently. Naturally, every, people are different. Um, I drove in with so Chris Grassick, who went through a hell of a long time of rehab. Um, I spent a lot of time, so I would drive in with him. Just to, I kind of knew that it was it was going to be tough for him, so I was trying to make sure that I would drive in with him every now and then, just to kind of give him someone else to kind of just spend a bit of time with, even if it's just drive for, for us living in Surbiton and driving to Bisham, hour and a half in the car on your own in the morning. It's quite a long time. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like, you don't really know until you've gone through it. And I I said to Grass, I was like, no, I'm just trying to basically spend time with you. And then after, so Grass has been magic with me and kept in contact with me throughout my rehab. Um, and I spoke to him about it and I was like, I didn't realise how. And he was like, yeah, that's just how it isolated you are. And it's not through wanting to do it. It's just through natural reactions of, kind of even things like so for example we're walking through I'm in the gym someone walks in like oh hey how you doing and the next bit will be oh, how's the knee and you're like and, it, and it's it is them trying to be nice but it's kind of like in my head so for example I'm thinking do they really care are they that bothered because they're just passing through the gym so I'll be like oh yeah it's alright thanks end of conversation and, and that's kind of it and it's like and it's not me wanting to not give any information it's not them trying not to be interested it's just me being protective of myself to kind of oh they're not that interested I'll just block it out and I guess I guess maybe from their point of view they're thinking oh well, I, I want to say something like how's the need yeah. to show that I do care but then it's almost awkward if you don't talk like is it a bit of an yeah. elephant in the room and kind it, of yeah, thing kind of and it's like and it's funny because you you hear about rehab athletes or athletes who go through injuries and be like don't just don't talk to me about the injury and that's not what they're actually wanting to say. They're almost trying to say, if you want, if you want to know, be interested in it, yeah, and it'd be great. Get stuck into it, but and... don't half-ass it. And it's not, and it's not them thinking that people are being half-ass. It's just amazing how like you just kind of get stuck in your own head about things, and you kind of like. So for about two and a half months, I was in that bubble of just being like, oh, they don't really care. I'm not really worth their time, and I just shut down, mm. <laughs> and then the people that you naturally spend more time about with kind of know what you're doing and they kind of know how you are and they're like they know for example that you're not okay or you're not in a great place and it's amazing how that kind of transpires from that side of things mm. um, so I'd say like for, for the majority of what I've been through so far I probably haven't been great but I'm thankfully now out the other I feel I'm coming out the other end where I'm like I can talk about it and I'm actually a lot more open about it whereas previously I was just like nothing I'm giving you nothing yeah and and I think this kind of moves on to the kind of the next part of the question from my side is like I th- knowing that how tight you are as a Surbiton group have you felt like the club boys have been really supportive of you and like the the club side has that kind of helped having that kind of separation outside of Bissom or yeah it's it's funny I kind of isolated myself from that mm. um, I kind of took myself away from hockey for a bit because I was I just didn't want to be around it um, and it's funny actually what I should have actually done was probably immerse myself more in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been, they've been great. They always have been. They've never once not been interested. Um, but I wouldn't say I spend anywhere near as much time with them now as I used to. 
just simply because I don't drive in with them, so I drive in on my own every day, I drive back. Um, so it's on that side of things, so you kind of naturally don't spend as much time with each other just through simple means of not being in the car for two, three hours a day with each other. Um, there's certain boys that I see more naturally because I spent more time with them anyway. Um, but no, they've been they've always been really supportive. I've always been really lucky with that. That's kind of what we were saying beforehand in the fact that with the Serbian group, I've always been blessed with a lot of close mates in a very close proximity yeah. to where I live. In the fact that there's about 10 of us that live, maybe more than that, that live really close by each other within a 10 minute radius. So actually on that side of things, that it's so easy. easy to, yeah, it's so easy because you've got just such a close network of people that you can go and spend time with. And even if they, even if you don't start talking about it initially or the conversation, the conversation will just drift to something like that and you'll mm-hmm. actually be able to talk to them openly about it. Um, so I've always been been really lucky with not just the GB Serban boys, but the Serban boys in general. So like Arjan as well, Gooders as well, John T. Griffiths as well. Like I've been blessed with those kind of guys around. Mm. So I've been pretty lucky on that side of things in terms of the club stuff. And I guess, like I say, the conversation will be life, not just... Yeah, Brendan and his knee. It's actually like yeah, how Brendan you, how outside you actually doing yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's again the beauty of because we spent so much time together as a big group of us. Um, and to be fair, Perny, Jimmy, Matt Jones, like all the guy, all the staff as well have been fantastic. Um, so anytime I go down, I will go down to training now, and I feel a lot more comfortable going down to training because it's. Although I don't feel like I'm a team member, I still feel part of the group. Um, which is a really nice feeling and it's always been a homely feel whenever I've gone down Fred one of the guys high up in the club I always go and spend time with when I can when he's down there so it's always been like there's never been once been someone being like oh he's injured oh I'm not that interested kind of cast him it's out. always been oh hey how you doing how are things how's life how's the living situation like it's always been as you say conversations about life so it kind of you naturally just feel a bond with people anyway from that kind of stuff because they they care about you as a person as well as a hockey player which is a really nice feeling and so, with regards to the importance of club hockey, then so that's obviously helped a lot. If, if you've been kind of played for a couple of big clubs, so Harvestuda and Surbiton, like what would you say kind of like the differences and the similarities are with that kind of family feel and and everything else between the two? Can you compare them, or um, or is it? I I don't know if you, I. I'll try. Um, <laughs> they were both family clubs. Harvestwood is not a big club um, in terms of size, mm. um, but it is big in terms of reputation. Um, I'd say one thing we have got quite similar is that so Harvestwood, everyone was in like a ten minute walk of each other, and that is that is close. Um, and the club was kind of the epicenter of it all, so you kind of had people dotted around the club, and everyone would just meet at the club. Um, and it was always it was always with the teammates in mind so like your team building weekend was always time spent with you guys there wasn't really anybody else around um, which I think is quite interesting because it does just create it creates a bubble almost um, which was actually really healthy for club hockey because I think that is actually a really good thing to have a group that's really close and they spend a lot of time with each other anyway and naturally as foreign players we used to go for lunch most days together we used to spend, uh, quite a few of us went to German school so I went to learn language um, and you kind of just naturally be, again it's the same thing as with Serbian boys naturally because you spend so much time together you just gradually become closer and closer and closer anyway um, so on the way back from games as well you wouldn't it wouldn't be like oh, 
a car, two cars, maybe five cars drive separately with two or three people in. It'd be minibuses on the way home, or it'd be the train with everybody on the train together. Um, and it was weekends away, for example, club weekends was always you play the two Berlin sides, then you play uh, Rottweiss and Mulheim, so you play clubs that are close to each other. So your away weekends became a weekend, but obviously it meant you had more time elsewhere, mm. um, which was actually really, I think, really clever from them. It's something I'd love for us to do in this country. Play your two southwest London sides together, then it saves you a long journey on another day if you're, for example, from Brooklyn or Beeston. Because I think that happened last weekend, actually, thinking about some of the fixtures that happened. I think Exeter played Brooklyn's and... Beaten at the same weekend or something like yeah. may have been, and it just kind of it just knocks two birds with one stone. Yeah. I, okay, well we'll put two weekends, and yeah, you might be tired, but also those teams might have a double header as well. So actually, it's not at a disadvantage that you're playing each if other. If everyone like, has a double header the same yeah, weekend, it makes it no of, difference. And for me, that kind of like it would make sense for me um, yeah. personally. Um, but I'd say what both clubs have done really well is they've recruited cleverly, and they've not gone for the best players or the best players in that position but they've gone for the right player in terms of culture so Harvester Huda basically picked so myself and Gooders went George Farron another English guy and kind of like we went over for a weekend and kind of just spent a bit of time with them and just basically we went out (laughs) so we joined in a training session then went out in the evening and kind of went for food and then went for drinks and just went out in the end Um, I think we we might have missed our flight back, actually. <laughs> um, we were not in great states. But in terms of like, and they, they said that if any players have ever come with us, have come to us, and they've not gone out, they've not stayed. Oh, wow. The okay. next season. Whereas if they've gone out with us, they'd have come the next season. Yeah. And it was quite interesting hearing that. And you kind of, and you start like clicking things in your head and you're thinking, okay, that's quite interesting. Uh, all right. Um, and so Serbit and stuff we kind of spent because we spend we're all similar age I mean the average age is 26 maximum yeah the oldest player we've got now is 29 or 30 Roycey mm-hmm. and then the next oldest is Alan who's 28 and then me at 27 so it's uh, it? yeah it will be me so it's like you're kind of one of the old boys that's, inside, mate. That's what I mean. It's in terms of, I'm not old. God, no. Attitude-wise as well, I'm definitely not old. But in terms of that, you've got such a close group. And then Connor's the youngest at 19 who's playing consistently in the ones. And you're kind of like, that's a close age group. And that's a really close group between the ages of 22 and 27. That That is where the main bulk of the group is. And that's a, such a healthy thing to have. And same with Harvest Hood, although it had a big gap, everyone was kind of understood each other and they were in the same I guess thought and mind process of everything else and the fact they were just there to just enjoy hockey and just play and that's where the servant guys have really recruited well on that side of things as well so I think we've been pretty blessed in the fact that everybody's there's a lot of the group in Surbiton although there's still some boys who live further away like Gibbo lives in Acton like as in just a further bit away the majority of the group still lives quite close to each other which means you can if you want to spend more time with each other yeah. and it's a re- I think that's a really healthy thing for club hockey on that side of things because then you gradually get the feel for the towns and you get so you actually get people who are a bit more situated rather than having to travel an hour and a half to play a home game which I for me is just a bit yeah. I, like, I like waking up so for example Harvester Hooter home games wake up in the morning be about 10 o'clock 11 o'clock go for breakfast together so it'll be about 8 or 9 of us go for breakfast together then go to the bookies, uh, put, some, put some bets on the football. Have a flutter. Yeah, just put a few bets on the football um, and then 
have lunch either have lunch together or play the game then have lunch together afterwards and kind of like that was the norm and if you didn't do that it was a bit weird whereas here it's almost like the flip side of it it's like would you have breakfast together so this year was the first time that we did Brooklyn's Away where we actually got an Airbnb up in Brooklyn's in Manchester in Wilmslow and it was the best decision we made for that because Brooklyn's is normally a, from Silverton Brooklyn's is a fair distance That's they put trick. the game at 12 o'clock clever boys on a Sunday <laughs> put the game at 12 o'clock make it difficult for, for London teams or teams that are travelling well fine we'll, we'll, we'll just work around it yeah. so we went to Airbnb food in the night before breakfast in the morning together sorted game everyone was like well, why haven't we done that before but because it's not the norm, it's just you kind of just made your way up on the morning. So you'd be knackered from the drive. You'd go up, you'd play at a tough place against a tough team that are willing to get stuck in. Well, yeah, naturally they're going to get points. That, I mean, yeah. that makes sense. It's the um, same. We did that with when I was coaching with the Reading women. Like we had Bowden away, always a tough place to go. Yeah. So we were like, okay, cool. Well, we'll. We decided we'd go up early, but then the girls just slept. We got we put a coach on, the girls slept the yeah. entire way, and they're actually like, we actually feel better than if we played. drove two hours to play. Yeah, exactly. And they just felt refreshed and felt, you know, have a bit of dinner in Bowdoin and then... Yeah, exactly. But because, but because it's not the norm, people are like, oh, well, will it work? Well, if you don't try it, you're never going to get there. Exactly. Um, so on that side, so I'd say they were pretty similar in terms of the way they kind of were run. Um, the only thing I'd say is Surbiton's junior section is God, know, God knows how much bigger than Harvestuders Harvestuders wasn't big at all it was small but they were really good in terms of they made sure that the quality of coaching was high um, and they had some quality coaches in that Harvestuders group with the juniors so I think they were really clever on that side of things they really put thought and effort into getting the right people for that group whereas Surbiton have got I'm trying to think how many of us. Probably five GB boys that are kind of working around in terms of with different age groups or groups. Um, so it kind of works pretty well. Like, for example, I coach the twos. Uh, James Gore coaches the threes. So you're kind of getting a bit of input from us into those groups, which then hopefully the progression naturally means that the players coming through will pick up more and more and more and more. And then by the time they're... So the youngsters that we've got, the junior section is ridiculous, especially for the... For the men's side, because I only deal with the men's side, like compared to where they were to where they are now, like there's so much more coming through. And again, that's credit to the club for kind of putting in the effort with the under 14s, the under 16s, and getting people who know the game to kind of help. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years with Surbiton on that side of things. Yeah. And I think that model of your senior players going in and being the coaches, you know, having both done time in, in Europe now, like that's something I definitely noticed in Belgium like that was so such a a kind of corner piece to actually why the country's moving forwards because everybody has overseas they're then being able to deliver to the juniors and even if it's you know they're not a great coach but they're a fantastic player that means their demos are good it means that actually your junior players are then technically really really good and then they can step through and then they just get, as they get older, they're technically good. They're yeah. then, you know, being able to then do the more kind of, for one of it, like proper coaches, yeah. like guys it's... who, and then they just get better and better and better. And I think that's part of the reason why, I know that's actually part of the reason why Belgium have really been able to step through and why their junior programs are doing really well is actually the kind of the club culture sat behind it. Yeah. It's such I, a difference. It is Obviously, like every country has a different way of doing things. We have obviously a very different way to do it to how those guys do it. 
but it, it by the sounds of it and by the looks of it, it is a case of they've just invested heavily in club hockey, and they or the or the clubs have simply invested them in themselves basically. Um, and it's funny, like obviously with the the way that the structure of our system works is the fact that the southern clubs are going to be probably heavier dominated with high level players, and it is a shame. But that's the way it works at the moment, and that's the way it probably will work for the foreseeable future at the moment. Because um, you're a Bowden boy? Yeah, so I'm a Bowden boy. So we had Ali Brogdon, Syagerton, who were the two kind oh. of, as in in terms of that GB level of things um, on the men's side. Um, and Richie, I guess Richie Dawson-Smith as well. Kind of, We've had guys that have been on the cusp of it. Obviously, Ali and Sy did more than Richie did on that side of things. But it's kind of like understanding that if there was... Obviously, like a few at Brooklyn's, a few at Bowden, a few at Beeston. Like Beeston, I've obviously already always had a few. Uh, maybe a few at Sheffield. Maybe a few just kind of dotted around, just kind of just spread a bit more. There's just a bit more high level access and exposure for youngsters. Yeah. Um, and kind of like that. I just, I yeah. I mean, the way it, it's not going to change anytime soon. But in terms of that, but at the same time, whilst the full full time program is a full time program. It, I mean, it wouldn't work geographically. Um, and the great thing would be that it would be easy to get around like a Belgian, for example, so you can just dot it around, but they're camp-based. Yeah. So the minute you go camp-based means that you can have people living further away and it kind of does work a lot better on that side of things. Um, but no, we've had... I Yeah, I mean... Yeah, the Southern clubs are probably going to start just generating more and more youngsters, basically, thanks to this. Um which is good, but not good in the fact that we're naturally getting more juniors probably playing to a high level down south and the north may not catch up for a little bit. Yeah. And on the flip side, that's great because you're still generating high level youngsters, but at the same time you're losing out on a lot of the country on that side of things. And yeah. that's the, it's always going to be the battle that we face at the moment. Yeah, and I think until... Until we move to maybe a slight, like you say, maybe a slightly more European model where it's it's okay to have people in the clubs where they're living, then, like you say, the, the southern clubs will start to dominate there. Um, where would you say the bigger differences are between kind of European hockey, um, obviously having been to AHL with two clubs now? Yeah. Like, what would you say the difference is? kind of at that top end like why are European clubs generally better in EHL than, than English clubs um, big question <laughs> yeah I I think we were unlucky for Surbiton last year yeah um, obviously lost on shuffles to the eventual winners um, but I felt we were we then had a squad that was of good level yeah um I think that's always been the interesting thing for like. So Harvest Dehuda, the squad wasn't unbelievable, but the. But the actual so what would you would class as the worst players weren't bad. They were good players, and I think that's probably where we kind of need to. We we finally felt like we were in a good place on that side of things, as we felt we had a good group, and that what would be our lowest level player wasn't a low level at all. It was actually a really good level, and that for me is kind of where. It's frustrating the fact that we. Like, I wish I could play this year in terms of the group that we've got now is again just that step higher, and that's where, if when you're around the group, you kind of 
something's happened here that's fantastic and it is really great. And I feel we're now bridging that gap between us and Europe. I feel we're getting there. Obviously, post-Olympics, who knows what's going to happen on that side of things. Um, but I feel like we're starting to get that gap. I feel we're starting to get that level of players gradually closer and closer and closer so we get mm. more higher-level players at clubs. Um, but naturally, if you look at the clubs that who are top dogs in Europe or whatever, they they take the best of the foreign players. So they don't take a foreign player, they take the best of the foreign players. So they naturally they take what is better than probably what their worst player is, so that knocks a player that they have out or down. And you're kind of like, well, that makes sense. Whereas we as English clubs don't take top European players or top overseas players. We kind of take overseas players. <laughs> and we're quite happy with that. Mm. Um, but at the same time, we can't offer what others can in terms of money or things like that in terms of European clubs. So it's kind of like, well, can we subsidise it by getting them a really good job in the centre of the city? Or can we get it in terms of get them some decent uh, accommodation with just a small amount of coaching, some decent money? And it's kind of like... It's being creative, isn't it? Yeah, and kind of just... I think that's where the London clubs are probably going to get ahead. Maybe Bowden and Brooklyn's could probably do it in terms of in Manchester. So your clubs in bigger cities have the opportunity to get better players in simply by saying, look, right, we've actually got... Right, okay, what would you like? Okay, you want a job in business? Okay, well, we've got this contact. You can get you in contact with this person we can set you up with a full-time job there for maybe two or three years and kind of get them, pull them in that way and be like, look, you can live in a new city, really cool city with a decent job and decent accommodation. Well, there you go, done. And I think with those with their heads screwed on, with thinking life outside, like the other side of the playing career, that makes total sense. So you're playing top division, you're investing in life post-playing yeah, exactly. and you're, you're then moving in the right direction. Um, I completely lost the question I was going to ask you then. <laughs> Love it when that happens. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I think it's a really fascinating thing because we we have to bridge the gap in a different way to everybody else yeah. does. And at the moment, we're kind of on the cusp of it, and we're mm. we're getting there. But I reckon it'll take it'll take one club, two clubs to really push the boat out and really go after it. And then it's a case of can everybody catch up? And if they can't, well, they'll fall by the wayside. If they can, great. Then we're starting to create a real, a real top league. Yeah, and I think um, you look at the top four in the Premiership at the moment with you guys, OG, Hampstead, and Wimbledon. You can start to see those four starting to separate away mm -hmm. now. I think through investing financially, but also investing club-wise as well. I think all four are now trying to invest across the full club, not just men's first team. Yeah. And I think that's then going to make a big difference in what comes up underneath. Like I say, you're then building that better quality player for the future because you're investing properly. I think, I think at Hampstead, they've got two, three German guys in there now, I yeah. think. So they're starting to do that more. OGs have just brought a South African guy in. I think they're starting to, more people are going to yeah. start getting involved on in that side. I think side. the women's EHL is going to be massive as well. Oh, the minute, huge. Because there's now a, a real top quality competition going on in the women's side of it. The hope, or the, my hope, is that clubs will now start investing in the women's side of the game, which naturally builds the game, builds the clubs up again. Yeah. And it kind of, there's another fold. So rather than just, which some clubs have done, just invest in the men's side and kind of do a little bit in the women's side, invest properly in that, invest properly in the men's, then you've got two prongs to work with. Naturally, more kids are going to come in, 
because they're seeing that high level, more high level players are available, and it naturally just starts to grow clubs, and that's that's always going to be the case. But it is it's an investment, yeah, and that's the tough bit is finding the money, which is always the talk of hockey, talk. basically, which is where we you've seen it happen in rugby. Rugby's gone from it. Mm-hmm. And they've gone from an amateur to a semi-professional now to a full-time professional. It can happen. It could work. But it is a case of investing in the right way, whether that's through online, putting the games out there so people can watch them live, or whether that's lowering ticket prices at Lee Valley, for example, to get more people through the door so you get full crowds at Lee Valley. And you kind of go down that route of it. Like There are definite opportunities. Or you scrap Lee Valley completely and you go around, like other nations have done, you go around for the Pro League you go to other, so we'll go. We'll go to Manchester. We'll we'll host a game there, or two games there. Uh, we'll go to Birmingham. We'll host a few. We'll go to Sheffield. We'll host a few. We'll go to Bath. We'll host a few. Like kind of just spread it about a bit, so you hit different clientele, basically yeah. people. And then more people make it more accessible. And actually, more people are going to come. Mate, that half an hour is absolutely flown by. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming down and chatting it real life now i love hearing your passion about club hockey and about that side of things but life is it i feel like we've covered so much in like <laughs> half an hour it's mental um yeah i can't thank you enough for for coming down and spending the time and um always my pleasure all the best in the in the rehab stuff Cheers. and i hope to see you hope to see you on a pitch soon and yeah good luck with everything mate. thank <laughs> Cheers, you very much it's been a fun one. Cheers. <laughs>